0: so you can make your creative dreams possible. Go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level to learn more and enroll now. Enrollments are open for only a short time, so please, if you're interested and you're ready to take your interiors to the next level, go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level. Hi, everyone. Before we start today's episode, I just want to thank you so much for listening and sending your beautiful DMs and emails about how much you're enjoying the podcast. It means so much to me in so many ways. And if you haven't already, I would really appreciate if you could subscribe, rate and review this podcast, wherever you're listening to it today, or share with a friend. That's something that I often do when I find a podcast or an episode that I know will help one of my friends on their journey. Okay, let's get on with the show. Hello everyone, I'm Natalie Walton, an author, stylist and designer and this is Imprint, a podcast about creating a home and life you love. This week we're focusing on creative journeys and some of the big lessons that have been learned along the way. And today I'm speaking with Danielle McEwen, the woman behind Tigme Trading. She's had a really interesting career that started in music and I met her as she was segueing into her business, Tigme Trading. I first came across her when I styled her home, which appeared in Country Style magazine. And then I did a photo shoot for her for a campaign for her business, Tigme Trading, and we've stayed in contact over the years. And she was actually a big factor, encouraging me to move up here with my family to Byron Bay. Her family lives here also, and we've got children that are a very similar age. So it's been fun to connect with her and get to know more about her. But I really today for what this episode wanted to learn more about her journey and some of the big lessons she's learned because Danielle is a quiet achiever and she always keeps her calm about her and I really admire that about her. She's also very driven and has a clear direction of where she's going and so I was interested to learn more about that too. I hope that you enjoy listening to this conversation and I'll connect with you at the end. We're recording today at Habitat in Byron Bay which because you've got your studio here for Tigme Trading, don't you? That's where you're based.
1: This is our studio headquarters, yes. Uh,
0: so um, I'm really excited to talk to you because we met probably about five years ago, something along those lines.
1: I think it's actually six years ago. An image popped up on my my Instagram today of a shoot that you and I did and it was six years ago.
0: And did we do your house shoot before then? Or was that oh, around no, the same right. time?
1: I think you might have been, yes. I think perhaps we did the shoot at the house prior to that.
0: Yeah, so, it, yeah, it seems a while. A long, time ago. <laughs> a
1: long time ago. And
0: we've met quite a few times over the years, not, well, I mean, more recently because since I've moved to Byron Bay and obviously this is where you live as well. Um, but we both have a space in Bar Merchants for our respective stores. Mm-hmm. So we kind of come into contact um, through that as well. Got very similar age children and, um, and it's always nice to kind of connect with you. So today I wanted to find out a little bit more about your story because obviously when you chat to someone, you kind of find out often where they are now, but there's often, you know, quite a few steps that have happened to kind of get you to this point. So should we start at the beginning? And if you could just say a little bit about like your childhood and where you grew up. And I'm also in particular interested because I've met your mum and your sister. Your sister is in my first book, This Is Home. Mm -hmm. And um, your mum, I've shot her home and she's an artist. So you've got a very creative family. Was yours a creative childhood, would you say?
1: Um I don't think we had a particularly creative childhood in the sense that it was a it was a beautiful childhood it was really um free and as it was back in those days it was we were given the opportunity to explore whatever we wanted to explore with a lot of freedom and I think in that sense it was creative. Um, however, we we I don't actually particularly recall it being a completely creative-driven and a forced thing. It sort of was something that happened around us. Um, Mum was always leading us into art projects and things, but it felt very much part of what we did every day. It wasn't it wasn't something that we sat down religiously and had to do. Um, and she really was the driving force of that creative creativity within the household. We we did a lot of sport too as a child. So I kind of remember probably more so that that influencing a lot of my child early childhood years than, than anything too creative, to be honest with you. And my mother was actually a PE teacher.
0: Oh, really? I didn't know that.
1: In her early days. So we kind of had this duality of we did we liked creative pursuits but we were also very into sport and that was my main focus i think certainly from a very young age to till, till even high school mm. sport was yeah was definitely my my biggest outlet outside of school
0: and did your mum was she painting while you were in those early childhood years so or was when, that later
1: she she wasn't painting early on. In fact, when we were very young, she, I remember distinctly, we moved a lot when we were children, I should say, that because it's, I guess this also formed a lot of the way we grew up was my dad was in the public service and we moved a lot. So we spent seven years in Melbourne where I was born and my parents were from. We moved to Canberra. We spent, spent probably seven years there. Then we moved to Sydney for about three or four years and then we moved to Brisbane for another I think it was seven years, something like that. I haven't done the maths properly on it, but we we moved a lot, and in that time we went to a lot of different schools. I went to probably nine different schools over that time. So my family were really my my formative influences all my life. I had friendships that came and went, but really my family was kind of the the rock point of with my childhood um, because I had a lot of different friend groups, and back then you didn't. It wasn't as easy to keep in contact because it wasn't texts and emails and things like that you actually had to write physical letters and you know pick up the phone and call um so yeah we did we did do a lot of creative things we did a lot of sporting things but mum, mum's influence on our art she was always interested in art her mother my grandmother was actually a, a fashion designer um in Hungary before the war because she and she came out just before the war second world war and and was making clothes here but really she had an amazing shop and she was an incredibly amazing fashion um designer actually back in in hungary so my mum had some of that i I suppose background in her she was really interested in art and fashion never really picked up a paintbrush and you know properly until much later and when we were in Primary school, she would come. She would do all these courses while we're at school, and she'd come do basket weaving, and we would find all these baskets in the house, and she'd learn. I don't know. She went and did about a million courses, and every time we'd come home, my oh, well, mum's done another course today, and we'd find these things around the house, which was always really fun. But it wasn't until probably we were in high school where she started sculpting, sculpting, and that was her first really um, real foray into art, and that was where she started really throwing herself into it and she was doing painting at the same time and you know it was it it came clear very quickly that that was those two mediums were her 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 space that she liked to be Um, and you know in saying that all the way up to those years we were going to art galleries regularly as a family we'd often go on the weekends to the art galleries and I think you know mum's interest in art was always was really broad as well so we were being taught a lot about art from a very young age and dragged around to every gallery <laughs> that there was wherever we were, um, which I think obviously had an impact much later on.
0: And so what about then when you were in those sort of later high school years, what did you envisage that you thought you might want to do for a career? What were those early seeds within you?
1: I honestly really struggled at high school to work out what I wanted to be. And I put a lot of pressure on myself. And I think it's one thing now I'm really adamant with any talking to any young person is that don't put pressure on yourself because things change and you can but I guess it was more the unknown back then because there wasn't really an opportunity to research about different fields and jobs and you just had to do them to find out what they entailed Um, I loved and was passionate about history modern history in particular and English and economics they were my subjects that I really enjoyed at school and you know really toyed between wanting to save the world and be a diplomat and work in the UN and then, you know, I'd heard about PR and I loved English and I loved writing and I liked the sound of what communications was, as, but I really didn't have any understanding of what that entailed and what that meant other than what I'd read in the course outlines for various universities when I was flicking through these these course outlines. Um, So I guess... (laughs) I tried. I started off in arts, so I went to Union, did an arts degree straight after school, and majored in um, international business, called um, commerce, I should say. So, but f- focusing on the Asian languages, so I did Japanese at the time, that was the eighties. And you know, I was living in Brisbane, and being in that area was considered to be an important way forward for the economy if you had an Asian language under your belt as well. Um, and then I think I I really didn't know where I was headed with that, and I wanted to do PR, but I hadn't managed to get into the course that I wanted to do, and there weren't that many at that stage um, courses that you could do, and there was only two, and one, and neither of them I managed to get into. Um, I think the next stage for me was just wanting to broaden my mind, and as as a child, as I said, we moved a lot, and. I'd been in Brisbane for seven years and I think I felt like I just wanted to get out and and experience the world a little bit and I didn't really care what that looked like and so I walked one day into the international department at the university I was at and said, I want to do an exchange and the course director said, well, we've never done one with economics degree before but you could be our first if you like. So. I, with, the econo- with the head of the international department, I, I started a course, uh, started an um, exchange, which I, I was the first person to do that with university in the US, which I um, went to in Amherst, oh. just outside of Boston for six months, which was mind-blowing for me at that age, I think, and really was just such an incredible experience going from Brisbane, which at the time had, had a huge growth, and was, but was still a big country town to essentially going to a, a college campus in, you know, the world's biggest economic superpower and listening to lectures on international business and economic development from their viewpoint as opposed to ours was just so interesting. And I really learned a lot.
0: Yeah, I bet. And do you think it had like impact on you in other ways as well? Like you're sort of mindset or your personality or your ambitions or, I don't know, I other it, elements of your personality? I think it just
1: kept that hunger and that quench for exploration alive. And I I feel that at certain points I get stagnant and I want to try something new. And, and I'm not particularly um, rebellious in the sense I don't just go for things. I do think about them, but I just quite often get to a point and really feel like I need to be challenged. And, you know, I and I feel that that certainly kept that quench alive with, with wanting to travel more, with wanting to learn more and experience more. Um, up to that point, I'd only been to Japan and that was the only international trip I'd ever made. So it really opened my eyes to a lot of different things and i had preconceived notions of what i expected it to be like and what i expected america to be like and and it really blew my mind in a whole lot of different ways in some ways it was a complete cliche of what i had imagined and in some ways it was way more and very complex and a lot of political issues that we'd never had to deal with here that we i was faced with on campus seeing we had race rights on campus at that particular time i was there we had incredible Um, speakers like Naomi Wolf and um, Archbishop Desmond Tutu come and visit and being in that space and hearing these people talk and in that environment was just so incredible which you know I'd never have had that experience or had the opportunity to have those experiences here at
0: that time so
1: yeah it really broadened my view of the world I think yeah, and opened it up.
0: And so, when I met you for the first time, you were working as a publicist in the music industry. So, how do you go from exchange student in Boston to to that? What was the sort of the key steps along the, the way from that point?
1: Well, I ended up. So, I, I finished my degree, and I did major in marketing and PR. In the end, I sort of switched my majors over. So, and then I went traveling. I went traveling to the UK and was going to only spend a few months there and ended up spending two two years there. And during that time, I I mean, I had the best time. I was just, you know, literally living that, I guess, that kind of life of a traveller and uh, an expat living in the UK. And it was so much fun. I loved London. I loved the proximity to Europe. And I really felt connected to a bigger place. And I think... From that point of view, I knew that I wanted to do something that was just a little bit, yeah, I, I, I wasn't. St- I still hadn't really worked out what I wanted to do, but I knew that I wanted to do something that was a little bit different to what I had intended at the beginning. So I think my desires to go into political life had diminished by then and the partying took over. So I kind of think that's when the switch happened. I was also working at Planet Hollywood at the time when I was waitressing when those um, – in the original days when they first opened. And a lot of the PR, the publicists would come in because it was used a lot for screenings. We had our own screening room. And I really understood what their role was in terms of how they managed their artists and the film companies and the launches. and I really got to understand that role a little bit more and was involved in some of those events that they that we put on in the, those early days. So when I actually did come back to Australia, um, and they were opening up Planet Hollywood here. One of the ex GMs who was coming out said, We're opening up. Do you want to come in and work and help us set it up? So I ended up going in um, straight back coming straight back to Australia and, and then helping the setup of Planet Hollywood in Sydney, which at the time was the biggest thing yeah, to happen. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> so I started just helping in the office, literally on the floor. There was a, an office with nothing in it. I had to get all of the office equipment and I had no idea what I was doing, and I couldn't I'd never worked in administration before. So it was a steep learning curve. And then I slightly moved into PR and I was the um, PR and marketing coordinator there for quite a few years. Um, and that was that was a great introduction into that world. And I learned very, very quickly um, on the on the ground how to be a publicist, because you know obviously what you learn in books and what's you know required in real life are two different things. It was It was a really fun, exciting, but challenging career-wise. I think it's probably my steepest learning curve. Um, but I did I learned a lot from that. yeah,
0: what would you say were some of the big lessons that I've kind of carried on and and part of who you are?
1: From that period, I think, just immerse, immersing myself in the role and and even when I didn't know what I was doing, just took go, okay, there's a solution and just working through that solution. so I never in a roadblock that I felt that I was unable to to work through so I really I think it was just I always had a very strong work ethic but I think it really kicked in at that point it was like right I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing I just have to work it out there is no one here to help me there was the GM and myself at the beginning and he would quite often leave for meetings and I'd be sitting on the floor going okay how do I set up an office what's required in setting up an office?" Uh, I couldn't even Google it back then because we yeah. were quite in that <laughs> space. So I just had a yellow refodex and yellow pages and I'd just literally be calling people going, I need some desks, I need some office equipment and, you know, worked it all out and we set it all up and it really just was learning on the go and learning on the spot and on the job.
0: Yeah. One of the things I've always sort of thought about you is that you're always very calm in like you've got a very calm demeanor in general but you you seem to take a very kind of calm and measured approach to you know whatever situations arise and i wonder if that's always been part of you or is that a result of sort of working in the frantic music industry and sort of needing to keep your head while everyone's losing theirs kind of thing
1: well, it certainly was helpful when I moved into music, probably. Only th- I stayed at Planet Hollywood for three years and then um, moved into music. And I think, again, I mean, I did just say before that the steepest learning curve was starting at Planet Hollywood, but it shifted to the next level of music industry at the time I started, which was really the halcyon days of music, the music industry. It was the late 80s. Records were still selling. Physical records were still selling, I should say. And... It was an incredible time in music and incredibly fun, but we worked so hard. I I as I went in as a um, a coordinator in a publicity role for Columbia Records and was working till one thirty in the morning most nights, at least midnight, faxing and doing all those things, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then still fronting up to the office first thing in the morning, nine o'clock in the morning, going to gigs and expected doing all the entertaining and it was very very hard and really tough physically and emotionally because it was um there was a very high expectation at that time and still is now to to this day really but it did teach me just to get on with it and I guess I've always wanted to make sure I do a good job and that was my motivator so I I just kind of knuckled under and, and did it it was for a few months, I didn't think I was going to last. I thought that that would probably I'd probably manage three months and then I'd probably be out. But um, yeah, it gets you the music industry once you're in. And you, I mean, I loved music. I, I was such a music fan, and to be in, involved in, in certainly later on in the music industry as I progressed um, and really being involved in artists and breaking artists, in particularly Australian artists, it was just such a wonderful feeling. And working with such incredibly talented people was. Yeah, it was was a really fantastic experience.
0: What about managing sort of egos or strong personalities? Like what are some of the ways you worked around that? Because I'm sure you must have encountered some strong personalities or, you know, high demands or whatever. Like how did you keep your cool amongst all that? What did you learn?
1: Well, I often think that my desire to become a diplomat at an early age came into full swing during those days where you really are having to play that role especially in the role I was in where you're wanting to please obviously the company you work for you're the artist that you're you're assigned to that you're responsible for for breaking the media and then obviously the consumer so there's this really delicate balance of pleasing everybody and making sure everybody gets what they need out of those relationships which is really it was really tough at some times and yeah there was a lot of ego involved and A lot of different, from a lot of different sides and a lot of external ego and media It could be incredibly challenging and their demands could be challenging. So it was a really fine line that you're constantly balancing. And yes, you did did need to have composure and you couldn't lose it. And I think for me, I've always had that in me in the sense I was never someone that was overtly... um, vocal, I've always been quite measured in the way I deal with most things, but that doesn't mean that I'm not feeling on the inside. And quite often I'd be going (laughs) (laughs) and literally maintaining a calm demeanour was the only way I could get through and make people around me feel calm too. I think certainly later when I was running eight or nine staff, that was very, very important for them, that stability in me feeling that I could be calm under pressure was, yeah, was important.
0: And so then at what point did you then start transitioning to doing TIGME? So and why?
1: Why? Well, I mean, I was, I was at Sony for 15 years and I absolutely loved it. It gave me an insight into the most incredible world. We, I saw in, the most amazing gigs. I met the most incredible people. I travelled a lot. What would,
0: sorry, sorry to interrupt, but what would be one of the highlights of that time of working in the, the music industry, like one of those kind of pinch-me moments?
1: Oh, gosh, I, I have a lot of pinch-me moments and sometimes they're even hard to recall. But drinking, having a drink at a bar with Eddie Vedder, who we'd just toured with Kings of Leon, and... Um, uh, and Bono, who was touring at the time as well, it, with there was only about fifteen or ten, fifteen of us, and listening to Bono regale stories. And you know I was that was a pretty surreal moment. And then meeting some of the most incredible musicians, like Bowie, Springsteen, um Beyonce, who I worked with quite a lot you know over the years from when she was in Destiny's child at the age of nineteen, right through to, to when she was thirty. and in her solo career. So there was so many, you know, personal favourites, Oasis, and I've, you know, I've been incredibly lucky. And and to be fair, I've really encountered very few um, people that I didn't love or like or didn't surprise me or I didn't respect.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you, because sometimes there is that thought that, you know, don't actually ask to meet your heroes because sometimes you can be sort of sadly disappointed. But it didn't turn out that way for you?
1: I think uh, initially, w- I think what happens once you you become used to it, you realise at the end of the day they're human beings with whatever they're going through, going through, exactly the same as you and I. And I think working in that industry, you really need to be in that space because you can't, you, you have to just deal with them as a human being. Um, so I, I never really was too disappointed because I never had massive expectations, even though... I highly was highly um, impressed, or I, I really respected them on a the, on musical level. I just don't think I ever put them on a in a space where they were, you know, totally untouchable. I think I was grounded enough to understand that they were human beings and that who were incredibly talented. And I was felt very privileged to be around them and to be working with them at that time. But I never felt hugely disappointed by them because oh yeah, I, I I didn't have have them too high to fall.
0: Yeah, and did you feel? I sometimes think it's, it's funny in those sort of situations about your own self as well, because obviously there are these people who, you know, they are who they are, and and there you are. And can you can you hold your own in that situation, or or is it just not your place to, or like can you be part of a conversation, or can you feel confident within yourself, you know, that you can kind of put that other part the otherworldly part of them to the side and actually just engage with them one-on-one how did you manage that
1: yeah again that's a skill I think you just have to be really intuitive about and each person's different each situation's different when they want to be engaged and I think quite often they just want to talk and chat and have fun and not talk they just quite often want to have a conversation they've been touring a long time they don't necessarily want to um be doted on they just want to have fun so that was quite often the case but then there was often the case where you you really were aware that they needed space this was their time to prepare for a show or whatever it was so you just become aware of when the right time to actually engage and be yourself or and when to just step back and let them have their space and that's definitely a big part of the role as well being really aware of other people and what their needs are at that time and being able to provide it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, sorry, I interrupted. So then how did you then sort of segue from that to TIGME?
1: So then I fell pregnant and being a mum and being in the music industry don't necessarily go hand in hand. There's lots of late nights. And at that time, we, my partner who was from Byron, we'd kind of toyed up moving to Byron. and And I had, I had my first child, Harper. And Came up to our we had a place up here and I came up and did my six months and extended another six months and then decided I didn't probably need to go back. And it was just timing really. I've been doing a lot of up and down to Byron for gosh, probably ten years, and I loved Byron, I was always drawn to it, but at that time there really wasn't a lot of opportunity. I didn't know what I was going to do. I just and I loved my job, and I didn't want to leave my job. So, I, but I also was aware that, yeah, having a child and trying to do those hours is just it wasn't going to be what I wanted for my my child and myself. So, we, I packed up, moved to Byron, which was nine years ago, and really at that time was not expecting the phone to to ring. It was a surprise when it started ringing and people asking me to do freelance work and i started saying yes and ended up starting my own pr business up here which i um, had some fantastic clients i still did a lot with sony and did a lot of um, pr for sony music with a lot of artists that i'd worked with as well as doing uh, hospitality clients and some really lovely brands as well so i i still had my toe very much in pr but at the same time I was really craving some creativity, some real creativity for myself and I had been for quite some time during those years. Uh, I My role was fantastic at Sony towards the end because it was actually a, an artist development role and I was part of that role was to take a artist, a developing artist, and help them define their brand and who they were visually, through words, and then take that out to the marketplace and to media. So I was really instrumental in working out, what their look and feel was and to, to, to really get their story across and and then helping them craft their story so it could go out to the media in the way that they felt most represented them and their music. Um, and, and I really enjoyed that and that was kind of, I guess, brand building in a way, in a, in a more organic form. And I really enjoyed that and I also really enjoyed through my travels the the idea of creating a a brand of and I don't want to even say homewares, but it was more collectibles that represented th- places that I'd been and just curating something that really represented all the things that I liked visually and from a design point of view that I couldn't get here. Um, so on a whim, on one day, I said to Jules, my partner, I said, "I'm I'm just gonna." Start this little thing on the side, and I was still doing PR. I was like, okay, sure. And we'd been to Morocco fifteen years before that, and we'd always talked about, I mean it, it, we fell in love with Morocco, it was just such an eye-opening trip, and it was like nowhere we'd ever travelled before. We'd done quite a bit of travelling. And the artisanship of all of the their pieces and the the rugs were just so incredible that we kind of had talked or discussed, bringing some back over at that time. However, just due to working the hours I was working, there's just no way I could have done it while I was at Sony. So it kind of opened up a little opportunity for me to do a little side project, as I called it at the time. And I just started really slowly and without any real clear plan of what I wanted to do. But I just knew I wanted to bring and curate some of these pieces and these objects which I didn't feel were accessible here at that time to other people. And it was really like just saying, this is a collection of all the things that I love and if anyone likes it too, you know, you're welcome to to buy them. And at first it was just on Instagram. It was just really, and that Instagram had only just started, so I didn't even know what I was doing. And it kind of just organically developed from there without a plan.
0: Yeah, And, and it has grown quite a lot over the years and since that sort of initial, I guess, idea, seed of an idea, so what would you say have been some of the kind of the key milestones for the growth of the business or any tipping points to, to where it is today?
1: I think firstly, the I had never had my own small business before, so it was all a big learning curve and I really didn't know what I wanted to do. So I think the – I say this to a lot of people. I think if you visualise something in some – Abstract way, it always leads you somewhere. So I kind of saw the end point, but I really didn't know what I wanted or how I was going to get there. Um, and I think the most, the biggest thing, we were about to go on a buying trip, and I think it was our first buying trip, and someone had mentioned Nuribar Merchants, or this little place in Nuribar opposite Harvest, which I'd been going to a lot because I loved the antique shop that was there, and I knew the space really well. We're doing little retail spaces um, and I was like okay that sounds good we didn't I didn't really want to have a shop I never really aspired to have a store but I thought it would be quite nice to have somewhere where people could actually touch and feel what I was doing and I felt that that was important given that some of the pieces were quite quite expensive at the time and I walked we walked in and we had a look around and I met the, the, the business owners at the time and had a quick chat and they're like oh well actually we've got one space available that has just come up and they were in throes of renovating and i was leaving to go overseas that next the next day and i said okay we'll we'll take it and we went on our trip knowing that we we suddenly had a retail space space to fit out and that was really exciting but it also it was a commitment suddenly to the business because before then I'd been selling on Instagram and really my friends and it was it was a small network. So this was a real step into, okay, well, we're going to do this and that's a commitment that we've just made. We're basically committing ourselves to this space and we're going to give it a go. So I guess that was the first big touch point in terms of moving forward in the business. And the next would have been the website. I, I had to develop a website and suddenly I had to work out how to make a website and how to put one together and, and that was a real challenge for me at the time because I had no skills in that area. And I think once that launched, that also gave me a really clear platform to to bring people to, some, to somewhere else. So I had Instagram, which was doing quite well, but it didn't really showcase all the products properly. So the website took it to the next level and gave me a really strong platform to showcase the brand in the way I wanted to do it. But I think the biggest turning point for me and what came back from the skills I'd had at Sony of putting shoots together was I had a clear vision of how I wanted my pieces to look and I spent some time and effort even in those early days to create shoots and spend the money on the shoots to get beautiful imagery that I felt really represented the brand and and really that was the fun bit for me, creating the images was fun. And I think doing that suddenly catapulted the business to another level because that started to get picked up in magazines it started to get extra traction on Instagram and that just built from there and there's there's images that I took yeah 5 or 6 years ago that are still getting thrown around on Pinterest and you know who knows on on Instagram now so it's made me realize how important visual those visual tools are in terms of marketing a business and that's always what I've focused a lot of our energy on, apart from obviously the, the product which I've curated, but it's just creating the images has been really vital for our business.
0: And have you had any mentors along the way that have sort of really helped you? Because there's so many different directions you can go in with your own business and so many decisions to make and so much information as well. And to, ha- to try and sort of distill what that what's right for you and you your brand. Have you had any mentors or business coaches or anything like that?
1: No, and I think in the initial years, I was so anxious about everything I was doing. And am I doing this right? Am I doing that right? Should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? And I had no idea. And I did a a great course with Prue Chapman, who's up here, um, which was a small business course, which really was about empowering you to to find what you need to do for your um, business. So it wasn't so much telling you how to run a business, it was telling you how to find what you needed for your business. And there was a great group of women that I became friends with and we'd meet and we'd have to, because it was an online course, but we'd often meet up in our workshops. And just chatting to other business, and they're all women, other women in business, made me feel a lot better about what I was doing, that no one really knows what they're doing. And... And yet you can seek external advice, which is all great and a lot of it works for a lot of people, but at the end of the day, you know your business better than anybody and sometimes you just have to give things a go and they might work or they might not work, but you learn from them and then you kind of – that's, I think, my biggest lesson is just try everything that you think you might want to do and then refine it if it doesn't work and then kind of say, okay, well, that's I pushed it too far there. That doesn't really work. Financially, that didn't make sense get back to this. This is what I need to do. Um, And I've kind of let go of having to really define what it is I want my business to be and let it just unfold organically as it has done.
0: And what about, because obviously any business, I mean, you've talked about the creative side and how important images are for your business and that's really helped it. But there is also that financial side about getting the balance right of, you know, getting enough orders. And, you know, because it's one thing, particularly on things like Instagram, I mean, you can have huge followings, but it doesn't necessarily translate into sales. So what are some of the big lessons that you've learned on that side to kind of get that part of the business right?
1: I still don't know, because I feel with retail, particularly at the moment, it's so hard to read. And I just don't know whether any any forecasting can ever get it right. I just think after a while, you have to go with your gut and uh, have a just make decisions based on what you feel is right at the time. But finance side, I think it's for a long time I I did have my head in the sand with our finances, and I got a great bookkeeper now and an accountant who really helped with that side. And I can let go of that a little bit. Um, obviously, I'm still really aware of what goes on from a business point of view. But I really am trying to pull away from that so I can be more creative because it dulls it a bit down big time when you're involved in every finance meeting. I think I just said to you I was in a two hour finance meeting before this chat and that's quite draining for me. I end up just drifting off and looking at the trees and nodding. So I think having people that can support you in that is really important if that's not your skill set. And I'm really worried that's not my... or not really where I want to put my skills and my time and my energy. so. Having a really good team has been great and that's helped me balance out the commerce side of the art. So,
0: And what about, um, you've got, I don't know, how many people are in your team right now?
1: We have four, four people.
0: And I always think that that is such a big step when you employ your first person and maybe even like your second person, because the first person is often like, you just need help, you need somebody to help make things happen. But when you start to sort of employ two and then more it's you're having to be really strategic about what those roles are who's doing what and kind of getting a good vibe and morale what are some of you know how have you managed to do that and what have been some of the big lessons about growing a team
1: well i've been really lucky that i most of the most of the employees that i have now i've had for quite some time so One in particular has grown with me. She started as an intern, and she's seen me and grown with me in the business, which has been incredibly helpful. Um, And then the other it's just I have actually been, again, when I feel like I need the right person, that right person has tended just to walk in the door at the right time. So I've been quite lucky in that respect that at one point I'm thinking, hmm, we really need to get someone who's really good with social media. And then someone will just appear and like, okay, well, that's that's a good sign. Maybe we should do that. And uh, But also, to thinking quite clearly about what it is that we need at this particular point in time and how we can best support the business. I still think I'm probably, you know, HR is definitely not my strong strong point, And I could probably have someone that could better distribute the roles. And I'm, I'm just lucky that my team are very flexible. And being in a small business, I guess that's really important. So their roles cross over quite a lot. And have ebbed and flowed depending on what's going on in the world. And, you know, if someone leaves, someone else picks up another element of that role. And, yeah, I've, I've, I've been really lucky with my staff. I couldn't have done as much as I've managed to do in the last few years without having a really good team. And I have been very fortunate that I feel that most of the time, in pretty every, much every situation, they've walked through the door and they've been the right person for me at that time.
0: And because I think, yeah, it is very hard when you're sort of at that early stage in a small business. And like I said, I think often that first hire is just to help out. And then, but there's a point where then people have more clearly defined roles. But often, like you say, that there can be a lot of crossover as well. So are you still in that kind of stage where people kind of all have to do different roles and just to make things happen?
1: Absolutely. And particularly with this current economic, oh, economic situation where we've had to cut hours, we've had to cut, dif- we've just had to work really differently. So everyone's work- working remotely. So whatever we had envisaged for this last six months of the year has suddenly flipped and and my staff have had to adjust to that as well as much as I have. So I think it's really important to employ people that are flexible in a small business because it's really tough and challenging if there's rigid rigidity and you can't kind of move and shift and grow and expand and shrink because initially that's that's the nature of small business and any business really. I've noticed it from at Sony with those days, it's constantly changing. Whenever you think you've got a team that you're really comfortable with and everything's going to be fine, for you, something shifts and changes and you've got to work around it. I think you just have to learn to be flexible and yeah, malleable and and understand that you can have, you you should always plan for some sort of direction and certainly in your roles, they need to be quite clear, but there's going to be crossover.
0: And so can you just give me a little bit of an insight into either your day or your week? Like what are some of the things that you're responsible for within the business? Because obviously if you've got a team that they're probably doing some of the things that you used to do, but what can you just give a bit of an overview of what you do?
1: So I do... The strategy for the business. I'm constantly looking at what we're doing with the business, and and really trying to be the creative and move a little bit away from the, the paying the bills. So um, my my role is really I buy, I do I, I do all the searching and the buying and the sourcing of product. I do all of the planning of our next stages. I've been wanting to work with some artisans, which I've been really lucky to work with here on um, launching some furniture pieces, which I'm really excited about doing, and just looking at new opportunities. And it's not really a business decision. It's just, I see things and I go for it. It's just wanting to delve into that world more and more and be more involved in the creative process of what we're doing. We, we are doing a lot of vintage furniture, which we're sourcing, which we have always been passionate about. My partner and I, would just love um, vintage pieces. I love the idea of taking something that's been beautifully made and designed well, and restoring it and putting it back out there. So there's that element of not wasting things and and also to just appreciating great design and honoring it in, a, in that way. So my role is really that. it's also to to make sure that we're all on the same page with what we're what our um, targets are for that week, not so much sales, but more on. What do we want people to hear? What do we want to talk about this week? What do we want to? What are we? What have we got new? What do we want? What's exciting that we're doing that we can talk to our um, our customer about? And so it's about trying to give those overarching messagings to the girls, and then I'll distill it and put it into the EDMs or the. Um, I do most of my own Instagram anyway. Still, um, I've got Kim on board who does the incredible it's, and. Um, stories which are so beautifully edited which I couldn't do but um, yeah just keeping the messaging and the visual elements of the brand on track and then obviously thinking about what other new elements we can bring in to say fresh and exciting that it's really for me not for anyone else because I get bored easily and I'm like okay what's the next thing that I want to do yeah great okay, let's try these chairs and you know finding some beautiful new design pieces that i we can't get anywhere else and I'm like right we can do that here we can bring that here or we'll try and make those here locally or whatever it is that you know like yeah
0: what well, i mean i guess maybe that answers this question a little bit but one of the other things i just wanted to sort of touch base with you was obviously with instagram it's such a powerful medium it can really get your message out but the It sort of becomes a little bit like vanilla soup sometimes, you know, because everyone's borrowing influences from everybody else. And it's I think it's increasingly hard to differentiate yourself from everybody else. I mean, I certainly when I remember when we first kind of came in contact with each other, you had it was predominantly the Moroccan rugs and, you know, they were always beautiful. But there were at the time there would some other people who kind of were coming in and doing the whole sort of Moroccan thing. And, you know, so it's I know, I can see that your brand has evolved since those days, but how do you stay clear on sort of differentiating yourself or is that a conscious decision or, you know, what's your point of difference or Tigme Trading's point of difference? What's its sort of unique selling point, I guess? I
1: I think it's about the edit and about just the curation and taking my customer on a journey, which is actually my journey, as I discover new things, I introduce them to the, and I'm not try to because I remember having this conversation with Pro at the beginning, going, but I just don't know what my my you know what my clear story and message is, and she's like, you know what, maybe it's about taking them on this journey with you as you do as you, as you discover your own, and not and it not being tied to anything, and then that gives you a scope to kind of ebb and flow and do what you want to do and not worry about it so much, so. I don't have. Obviously, for me, there's a, there's a few touch points in terms of our messaging that I want to make sure we just. It, it, it for me, it's about buying quality pieces that are timeless, that have your an engagement that you engage with on a on a really deep level. And it's, I'm not into buying things that are disposable that you throw away. I really want people to have things that have meaning for them in their lives and their homes because that's how I like to live. And I might not have expensive stuff but everything has meaning it's either been passed down or it's been purchased while we're on travels or overseas so it's really eclectic but it all has meaning and there's a story behind everything so I think for me it's about finding those pieces that have a story that have meaning that are made with integrity and that feel timeless and that feel like they could be passed on and that you know do have a sculptural or artistic quality to them and I believe that the rugs do for me they are like Functional art. We talk about them being functional art that you could hang them on the wall, and we quite often do. And people love them on the wall because they're these abstract representations of the what the weavers, what's going on in the weavers' lives. So I think it's really important for me. It's not just about Morocco or a place. It's about finding these inspirational artists. And for me, it happened to be Morocco at the beginning, and it still is. I'm very attached to Morocco, but I'm also manage to pull together some other amazing pieces from all around the globe that have that same level of integrity, that have beautiful design process and, you know, have have some sort of story behind them that make them feel unique and special.
0: Yeah. Great. Okay. Well, I've got a few quick questions for you. This is what I like to um, finish the, the episode with. Because Imprint very much evolved out of my blog, Daily Imprints, which I did for many years. And so they're just kind of whatever comes to mind. Um, so I'll just sort of ask them and just share whatever you think kind of comes to your f- front of mind. So which five words best describe you?
1: I would have to say resilient, um, intuitive, sensitive, compassionate, uh, and also Forgetful, <laughs> a ter- terrible memory.
0: <laughs> What's the best life or career lesson you've learned?
1: I think I don't even know whether I learned it or whether it was instilled in me from a young age. But you can achieve anything that you want if you're prepared to listen and learn and work hard. And as a as an ex sports person, a runner, if you envisage it and you imagine it, invariably it can make that process a lot easier it just happens and having to trust that process is the hardest thing and not force it but just say have that image in your head of what you want to do and what your dreams are and you'll get there it sounds a little bit spiritual but it's always happened for me in some way yeah yeah and the other thing is not sweat the small stuff really and remember you know that that was our saying it when i was at sony and quite often there was what felt like major disasters at the time and we just have to keep reminding ourselves that we're not saving lives and just to kind of take a deep breath, so to keep everything in perspective and and not overly stress about things that are out of your control.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's a very good one. <laughs> um, what's your proudest career achievement?
1: Uh, I guess I've had a few different careers, so I guess at Sony I certainly felt very... I was really proud to, to be running the department, the PR department there when I, when I took that role on. And then I guess setting up this business has been a really big achievement. And you don't acknowledge the little steps and the successes along the way. But if I look back, I, you know, I'm pretty proud of what I've done to, to, to make it this far.
0: Yeah, it's certainly sometimes when you're in the thick of it, it doesn't feel like it's easy. But yeah, I think it's so important to kind of actually acknowledge the little wins. That's something that I'm really bad at doing. I'm always looking forward and um, yeah, I sometimes need to kind of actually reflect back and think, oh yeah, I I have made some improvements or some advances or, you know, it's kind of getting somewhere because yeah, being too forward focused sometimes I think is not healthy.
1: <laughs> it's not. And I think this COVID situation has really reminded us of that. Being present, you just so – I felt like I had so much more clarity than constantly looking forward and not having time to really be in the moment. Yeah. You, you become less productive.
0: Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, who inspires you?
1: I would have to say my mum inspires me. She's been my biggest inspiration. I have a lot of other artists and creatives constantly uh, inspire me. I I find that I'm really drawn to people who are doing things that are unique and creative and uh, you're working with their hands quite often, really, I find really inspiring. But my mum is my biggest inspiration. She's Always worked hard, but she's always just ta- just taught herself how to do things, and eventually just honed her skills by just practicing and and being dedicated to to what she's doing. And her art has yeah has taken a new level. It's yeah. So inspiring.
0: Yeah. No, I love her art, and she's yeah such a kind of quiet achieve- achiever as well. She's amazing. Um, what's been your best decision?
1: Moving to Byron for sure nine years ago that was best personal decision i really found it difficult to take my feet out of sydney and move the family out but it's been such an incredible place to raise kids and have a family and start businesses and create a community and yeah i've not looked back it's been incredible
0: everyone that i've interviewed from parents says that it's so true though but don't tell anyone <laughs> no, how good it is <laughs> <laughs> um, who in oh Yes, I said, into inspire you. And um, what are you passionate about?
1: I am passionate about raising compassionate, loving, aware, and conscious children. That's my current passion and goal. Uh, I'm also passionate about sustainable living. Trying to live more sustainably, we with in everything we're doing. Obviously, that's in business and home. So. Yeah, just trying to live a sustainable life and impart some of that onto the way we run our business. Yeah, That's my aim for this year to become, which I know is a lot of people's and it has been for a while, it's challenging.
0: Yeah, it is. Like when you actually try and do the right thing, And like, this is something that we found within our business is that, you know, we try and be as plastic free as possible, but then you sometimes receive things from suppliers and they're like covered in plastic or, you know, those kind of things. And it's like, oh, we've got to go back to them and say, we don't want to receive them. Like, you know, so it's such a, it's a process and it's the sort of thing that doesn't happen overnight either. And you've got to kind of just stick at it, but yeah, it's, um, it's it's such a journey.
1: You have to, and also to just finding new solutions, particularly when plastic's the biggest, from a packaging point of view, and it's often the safest way to package things, but you've got to find new solutions and yeah. that can take time. So, yeah, where I'm, for us, it was a lot of it was flying rugs around the world and realising the impact environmentally on mm-hmm. our footprint was, was, we've found for a long time to be a bit of a challenge and how to get around that when we can't manufacture out of here because it's just not what else what australian school sets are so we've now partnered up with reforest now and we're planting a tree for every rug sold so in a way i feel like we're trying to offset some of the, the things that we know that we've got to work on by putting it back in at the other end and hopefully we can balance things out a bit more as well as all of the other the um, packaging that we're looking to reintroduce new packaging for all of our um all of our shipping which we're doing slowly it's just yeah, it's hard to find the right, you've really just got to go back to the beginning and say to applies." no, I need a different solution for this, and yeah. what can you make?
0: Yeah, yeah. Not easy, but no. important. It is important. Um, which person, living or dead, would you most like to meet?
1: I often get asked this question, and because I feel like I've met so many incredible people, there's very few, I think I'd like to meet some of my some artists that have totally inspired me over the years. I would like to meet, I would have loved to have met Picasso and I would love to have met an artist like Cy Twombly who I've always loved and just to kind of get into their head where this inspiration came from and how their processes were and what inspired them and did they have to work hard at it or did it come, just to really get into their heads. And I'm quite interested in the creative process and how people and if you know for me it's about do you have any fears about this you know has if you have had any doubts or has this come naturally so yeah i would have loved to have spent some time with some of my art heroes
0: yeah um what dream do you still want to fulfill
1: <laughs> um the tigme hotel
0: oh wow that would be cool yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's a dream i'm trying to do my visual mood boards for that in my head every night uh no i'd love to do something like that that would be fun but really i feel like I've, i have i say this now i feel like i've ticked so many things off my list there's a few things left that i'm where I'm, I'm hoping to get accomplished this year which have been on my wish list and that's one of them is to design our rug range our first rug range which has been delayed somewhat due to COVID, but I think we'll get that out this year, which is really exciting and nerve-wracking. And yeah, a couple of other things which are really exciting. So I can't, I, I'm, I'm just looking a little bit forward, not too far forward. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to stay present. But yeah, I'm pretty happy with everything I've achieved so far.
0: Um, what are you currently reading?
1: I'm reading a, a brilliant series called My Brilliant Friend by Elena. Ferrante ah oh, okay, and it's four part series and it's an incredible story and I've up to the fourth book and it's been a beautiful journey of friendship of two young girls and all the way through their life in Italy. It's been so inspiring. I've loved it. I've really delved into it, and I've also got another book. on my I, I've got about four books going at the same time, and the other book is Let My People Go Surfing.
0: Ah. Oh. Oh. Is that fiction or It's non-fiction,
1: non-fiction? but it's about um, the rise of Patagonia.
0: Ah, okay. Because I've been reading The Responsible Company by them, the the founders, yes. which is really interesting. Um, yeah, they're such an inspiring company. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Because I've sort of been in the past, I don't know, since I had children I've been reading lots of non-fiction because I just couldn't get into fiction, but I've sort of slowly wanting to get back into fiction. Because I think it is actually really important for your brain to stop thinking about yourself all the time, which I know sounds sort of like so narcissistic. But, but you know, you can think about your worries or your, what you've got to do and all this stuff, whereas I think fiction just takes you to this other place. And I think it's actually really important.
1: It's, ho- it's yeah. a total escape, which yeah. is so beautiful. And it's an escape into a fantasy story, but it could. Yeah, it's it's a really nice way to switch off, I think. Because I do have a lot of resource books by my bed too, but they never get picked up anymore. Yeah. It's just too much, like, hard work. It's like, oh, I should read that, I should read that. I actually just want to escape into this book, actually. Yeah. This is much more interesting. Yeah,
0: that's nice. Um, what are you listening to? Are you listening to any podcasts at the moment or Hi. any particular music?
1: Music is not so much anymore, which is really sad because my children take over my playlist, so I've got their playlist, although I have really introduced them to a lot of the classics, which I'm grateful for. So we're not listening to current pop music, but they like The Beatles and Prince and whatever else we're listening to.
0: (laughs) And last question, if you could give your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be?
1: Believe in yourself. I think. I think I had a lot of self-doubt as a younger child. And I think moving a lot and being the new kid, and I, I was quite shy. So I just and it, it took me a long time to understand that it, and I always wanted to fit in. So I was always trying to please other people. And I think I think ultimately is just to not worry about what anyone else thinks and just do what you want to do and believe in yourself. That would have been if I could change anything about how how what I thought when I was younger, that would be the, the, the biggest thing. Yeah. Wasted a lot of time and energy on self doubt, which you know, I think everybody does, but yeah. Yeah. Doesn't get g doesn't get you very far.
0: Yeah, no, it's very true. But then I guess you sort of perhaps appreciate it all the more once you kind of overcome that and appreciate even more what you have and where you've come and the journey that you've kind of been on. So
1: This is true. You know, it's, I know. it's like being I wouldn't yeah. you wouldn't be who you are without all of that. So yeah. without that journey. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much. I thank really you. appreciate your time. I know you're a busy woman and uh, have, you know, your various projects on the go with Tigme and Yuribar and children at home and, you know, all of that. But um,
1: That's it. The school, homeschooling took its toll, I think. Yeah. We're, all, we're all dipped our toe into teaching and decided that wasn't <laughs> for us. <laughs> or our kids decided for us.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so thank you so much, and thank um, you. Yeah, and we will share that book and that podcast <laughs> in the show notes. <laughs>
1: the podcast is brilliant, and I will I will remember the name of the guy that he spoke to, and he's just so inspiring. And I will
0: I want everybody to listen to it, so okay. I,
1: will, I will remember and I'll come back to you. Cool.
0: Thanks so much. That was Danielle McEwen of Tigme Trading, a business that focuses on curated, unique handloomed rugs and objects for the home. For more inspiring interviews, head on over to nataliewalton.com forward slash podcast. And you'll also find show notes for today's episode there too. If you like today's episode, please subscribe wherever you're listening to it today. And don't forget to rate and review us. It would mean so much if you could spread the love on social channels too. And if you have any suggestions on who you'd like to hear from, I'm always open to requests. You can send me a DM on Instagram at Natalie Walton or email podcast at nataliewalton.com. Thank you to Jaeger Media for producing this podcast and the people of the Bunjilong Nation where it was recorded. Thank you so much for joining me today. I look forward to connecting again soon. I'm Natalie Walton and you've been listening to Imprint.